You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for being in Bible study tonight. We're going into lesson number five, and uh, we've been doing a series on skilled leaders, um, and um, we're we're ministering. We're going to get it right here at some point. Uh, we're doing a, a series on skilled leaders, and we we have been going through uh, four books that uh, Paul wrote. And we've gone through the book of Philemon, the book of Titus, and now we're into the book of First Timothy. And uh, we've been focusing on some, uh, just some down-to-earth teaching that Paul has given uh, to different people uh, in the New Testament. So if you look at the New Testament, actually, a third of the New Testament was either written by Paul or from Paul uh, or um, people that Paul had affected like Timothy's life and so that's a quite a portion of the New Testament that is um, attributed to the life of of Paul in the sense that he's writing it someone to someone or someone is writing it themselves that he has ministered to and through uh, and so when you're um, if you look at the whole New Testament um, it's possible that 14 books of the New Testament were written by Paul. So it's a large portion of what we know as the New Testament that Paul had an effect on. So um, uh, that's, that's an important part of our study. And so we're focusing uh, on uh, the book of 1 Timothy. And so we're, we're, um, we kicked off last week with kind of giving an introduction to the book of Timothy, and so we're going to pick up right at chapter 1, and we're going to uh, do some study tonight through this book. Uh, chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to uh, Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister uh, questions rather than godly edifying, uh, which is in faith so do. Uh, so Ephesus was not an easy place to pastor. If you uh, look at the city of Ephesus, it was a city that was devoted to the worship of the goddess Diana. And the worship in her, uh, her temples was, um, was really off in the sense of morality. It, uh, it promoted... Uh, sexual immorality of all kinds. You can read that in Acts chapter 19. But in spite of this, Paul stayed there around three years and done a great work there in a very wicked city. Uh, so this is what Acts 19 and 10, Luke writes it, and he says, he says that uh, Paul dwelt there and in Asia... Everyone heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Now that's a, quite a statement to say, obviously written by Luke in the book of Acts, about Paul being in Asia or the city of Ephesus and was there only three years, but yet everyone heard about Jesus in a wicked city. They didn't have internet and they didn't have mass mail-outs and Facebook ads. and They had a dedication and devotion to teach about Jesus and to be a positive influence of what God had done in their lives. It's a quite an accomplishment in just three years. Uh, Paul uses a military term in this 
uh, first four verses, and he uses the word charge. Uh, and that's basically, basically to give orders uh, from a superior officer. And eight times in the two letters to Timothy, he uses this, this word uh, in, in a seriousness of that they needed to hear. You can see in verse 3, he says, teach no other doctrine. Thirty times uh, doctrine is referenced in Paul's personal epistles because doctrine had become a foundation of the church and Paul uses words like charge and and direct statements of there can be no fooling around with what you're teaching that's what he says uh, we could use phrases like uh, we're not going to water down the word we're going to just teach it the way it is. And Paul emphasizes in a very wicked city that we're not going to try to teach it in some smooth way to get more people. No, we're just going to teach it the way the Bible says. He's teaching it straight. It hasn't really changed. It hasn't changed. Where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. The darker the night, the greater the light. It hasn't changed in 2023. You can, you can speak the truth in love and let people know that no matter how negative society is, you can still live for God in a positive way. What a wonderful hope that we can have to live for Almighty God no matter how bad the world gets. This is, this is uh, the foundation of the early church. And so false teaching, Timothy is facing the same thing as Titus faced in Crete. Uh, he says um, in verse... Uh, Four, uh, he uses the phrase uh, fables and endless genealogies. The false teachers were using Old Testament law, especially the genealogies, to manufacture all kinds of new doctrines and spiritual theories. They were leading people astray, causing them to question the doctrine that they had been do uh, taught, and... Um, the opposite of that is edifying the body instead of tearing it down. And so what happens is Paul's coming and he says to Timothy, listen, there's people that are going to try to tear down what has got us to where we are. Hear me tonight. In 2023, there will be a push for people to water down what has got you to where you are so far. Let me tell you, if it got you to where you are, it'll take you the rest of the way. You don't have to change what the Word of God states to match our society. Rather, a godly edifying, a godly teaching leads you into a place of relationship with God where you become a skilled leader or a skilled influence. Uh, Paul uses uh, the opposite. He calls it in verse 6, vain jangling. <laughs> Look what he starts in verse, verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, 
But for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary, he says, to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul says... Anything but sound doctrine is vain jangling. It will cause you to swerve off course. The last thing that you need, the last thing that I need in the generation that we are in is to swerve off course. There needs to be a clear sound. There needs to be a, a, a very distinct voice. God, speak to us clearly that we do not take a detour from what got us to where we are. Notice, uh, he uses in this uh, verse 5 um, that the end, or that's the, that's the result, that's the goal that we're trying to do, is get to the end. We're, just, we're trying to make it to the end in a good way. Uh, and... That's the obeying of God's commandments. It will always be, and you'll notice here, he uses the word uh, love, charity. It's always going to be out of love and charity. You do not have to preach doctrine out of hatred. A walk with God is done out of love and charity. You start where people are and bring along in a positive way to where God wants us to be. He uses the word purity or a pure heart. It's not for my glory, not for my gain, not for your personal wins. No, this is about God. This is about the end result of making sure we do not swerve off course, but love and charity, a pure heart, purity. He uses the word, words good conscience. That's conviction. Not condemnation. The enemy condemns. The Lord convicts. We're not here, and no one should be here, to try to condemn someone, but rather out of love, pureness of heart, with conviction, draw people into a greater end result with God it's all about getting to the end he says uses this faith unfeigned that's with integrity I think I believe that if we preach sound doctrine with love and pureness of heart as God convicts with integrity, people will receive the word into their lives. When we bring it across the word in such a way that it's condemning, it's for personal gain, it's to prove a point, all, all of the things that you can think of in a negative way, it will not, not be taken properly see you can't obtain this just by keeping rules and you also can't obtain it by ignoring God's rules legalism can be either relying on keeping rules to save ourselves or rewriting God's rules to please ourselves either way Neither is right. So, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, it means that this is not about a rules of checklist. This is about you being sincere and honest with God yourself. God, I want to be like you. And preaching comes out with love and charity. And it doesn't have anything but a pureness of heart. And the conviction of the Holy Ghost tugs at my heart. Listen, if I will listen to the voice of God, he will convict my heart. 
He will. It then doesn't become, well, this is what I got to do. No, I get to. I get to. So it's not, this is what I got to do, or I'm going to make this sound like what I want it to be. We got two sides of the equation happening in our world today. Oh, I mean, there's a million and one interpretations of certain things. But people are leaving out the whole part of, what about God? What about God's voice? And what about God's conviction? And what about the love of God that's bringing you into relationship? All you have to think about is in a, a marital relationship. If I love my wife because I have to, that's pretty sad. You haven't told me that you love me today, so you've got to tell me before you leave. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Okay, I'm getting a few nods. Maybe some people are guilty. Maybe you haven't told your spouse yet today. No, you, you get to. You don't have to. You get to because you're in love with. You don't have to tell your kids you love them. You get to tell them. Your grandkids, you don't, you're not forced to love them. And I've had two for nine days. Now they're going home tomorrow. It's going to be a little break. But I still love them. No one's telling me I have to love them. I get to love them. That's in the natural sense. How much more powerful is it when you love God enough that you just want to please him? Not because someone said this is what you have to do. No, you get to. I'm talking about being a skilled leader. Skilled leadership is being a positive influence. There's nothing like a positive voice, a positive message, a positive change of life. Amen. I don't serve God because I have to. I serve God because I want to. And when that approach is how you approach it, it doesn't matter what happens or what people think or what people say about your walk with God. No, you've got, to, you've got it deep down in your heart. I'm going to serve God no matter what the world says. I'm in love with him. See, false teachers were abusing Old Testament law. And Paul explains the role of God's commandments in our salvation. He always, he says that the law is good if we understand it properly. The law was given to expose sin and and to convict sinners. The law itself couldn't save anyone. But without it, we can get to see our need of, of the Savior. It led us to Christ. Once you're saved, it's the grace of God that gives you a higher law. That it's not just, well, I did not steal today. Or I did not commit adultery today. It's not just about, uh, well, I've got it checked off that none of the Ten Commandments that I disobeyed can't respond for the other 600 plus laws. It's not about, no, you, you've come into a relationship with God is, God, here's my life. Whatever's not of you, help me have that be removed from my life, my heart, my attitude, my thinking, my mindset. God, change my motives and change my agenda. I'm in love with you. I want to be a positive influence. And Christ did in your life what the law could never do. I mean, no one could measure up to. I'm so thankful that the love of God and the grace of God that came into our lives, has changed our lives. Paul lists, Paul lists 14 kinds of people who were condemned by the law. He, he focuses on five of the Ten Commandments of honoring your parents and don't kill and don't commit adultery and don't steal and don't lie. This is one of several lists that you'll find in the New Testament that the law was made for the sin of man. But what the law couldn't do was complete it by the gospel. And the law without the gospel is like diagnosing a disease without having a cure. 
And the gospel without the law is like having a cure, but not admitting you have a disease. <laughs> and so when I look at the Old Testament, it lets me see that I'm in need of a Savior. And when I look at the New, New Testament, I realize I've got a Savior. And that Savior has extended to me grace that is sufficient to take care of all my sin and bring me into a positive relationship with him that I get to be a skilled leader of affecting other people. Let me tell you what happens if that's not the approach. Then we get into a condemning mentality instead of a grace mentality. And as soon as you, are, you and I get into a condemning mentality, there is no problem to find things that are wrong. We can come up with a list pretty quick. <laughs> because it becomes a mentality of judgment and condemnation and condemning. But when you realize that your walk with God was changed by his grace, and you bring love and pureness of heart, you bring conviction in there and integrity, and all of a sudden your life is approached differently because you realize you couldn't, I couldn't, no one here could do it without the power of the grace of God and the, and the result of the gospel in our lives. No one could. That's why, that's why Paul says, listen, there's a whole list, uh, but, but there's, there's an end result that we're after. An end result. Let's go a little bit farther. Verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer. He's talking about himself now. He's like, a persecutor, injurious. I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This, he says, is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. I'm the worst, he said. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy. That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all the long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting now unto the king eternal and mortal invisible the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All this talk about the gospel by Paul he shares in his testimony time after time. This is what I used to be. But because of God's faithfulness to the gospel, the grace of God, this is what I have become. That's the message that every person needs to be able to hear. He says, I want to thank God for enabling me. Could never have done this on my own. Could never have accomplished this on my own. He, he says the qualification that was necessary. The faithfulness of God. Think about this church. If you don't live in the realm of grace. The faithfulness of God will lose its effect on your life personally. Because this is the way it is. I can only speak for me. I just know there's a lot of times that I have failed him, yet he has been faithful to me. Lots of days that I haven't thought properly, prayed properly, studied properly, witnessed properly, but he's never changed his faithfulness to me. He enabled me to get where I am today. Folks, that's the positive influence that every person needs to hear. You don't have to measure up to some qualification to get God's attention. He loved you before you ever, ever measured up to anything. His desire for you has been before you ever desired him. 
the message that the world needs to hear. Your neighbors need to hear. Your family needs to hear. Amen. It's not some condemnation of what's wrong and, and what they need to do to get there. Just tell them what God's done for you and let them see that if it's possible for Paul, it's possible for you. Paul said, listen, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor, injurious. I mean, I was doing everything wrong. But he enabled me. He was faithful to me. Paul thanks God for his grace. He uses this phrase. That was exceeding abundant. Exceeding abundant. In his case, because he felt like he was the enemy of the church. He fought against the church. He uses this, I'm thankful, he said, for his long-suffering. What is it? He said, what God has done for me becomes a pattern for everybody else. Everybody else can see what Paul's saying. If he could save me, he could save anybody. I want you to notice how Paul's trials in life affect what he thinks of himself. Because Paul's mentality of himself changes through his writings. So the first epistle that Paul writes is Galatians. And he introduces himself as Paul an apostle. That's the introduction in verse 1. After some suffering... 1 Corinthians is written. 1 Corinthians 15 and 9, he says that he is the least of the apostles. It has changed from Paul and an apostle to the least of the apostles. After some more suffering, Ephesians is written. And then he says that he is less than the least of all saints. <laughs> do, you, do you see what happens? As Paul is decreasing and God is increasing, Paul realizes that I'm in need of God more than ever before. That, look, this is, that, you, you see it, that, that suffering ends up that Paul's in prison. And the verse that I read to you, verse 15 of chapter 1, he said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. <laughs> he goes from Paul the Apostle to the least of the Apostles to all the saints are better than him, and there's no sinner worse than him. Paul all of a sudden didn't lose his self-esteem. No, he just realized how great God was in his life. And the positive influence was, I want people to see Jesus, not me. And as Paul decreases, Jesus increases, and his influence becomes even greater. And he's writing to a young man, Timothy. And he says, Timothy, this is how it works. See, Paul kept getting smaller. Jesus kept getting bigger. He ends this, uh, this chapter, verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwrecked, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul again uses this same talk, this charge, Timothy. It's, he's telling him, hold on, Timothy, to, to the prophetic words that have been spoken to you. Fight for the doctrine, Timothy. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about um, in any way of trying to show people up or put it in their face. That's not, no, I'm, he's talking about Timothy. I want you to fight for it for you. And then he said to hold on to faith and a good conscience. That's conviction. Hold on to that, Timothy. 
Because it's not enough just to proclaim it with your lips. It's got to come from your heart, from your deeds. You must practice. You must practice faith with your life, Timothy. Because some Christians, he says, have made shipwreck. They've not been willing to fight for what got them to where they are. And he said, they've gone against their conscience. And listen, if you keep telling yourself long enough that you don't need to, you'll finally believe it. You still need to repent. And you still need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And you still need to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And you still need to separate yourself unto God and to live a holy life. You need to still be consecrated and dedicated and faithful to God in all aspects of your life. You still need a church and you still need a preacher. And if you keep telling yourself otherwise long enough, you'll start to believe it. And your conscience will be messed up. I'm a pastor and I have a pastor. (laughs) I have more than one in my life. It's necessary. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, fight for it. Because you don't want your lifestyle to end up in shipwreck. And he gives us two examples Hymenius and Alexander, they deliberately rejected their godly convictions in an attempt to defend their ungodly lives. And listen, bad doctrine starts with conduct, and that usually ends up in some type of secret sin. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're on a downward spiral. Can I tell you? If you start to let up in one area, it will lead to the next. When holiness is not important enough to you anymore, you'll then start to question the name. And the necessity of the Holy Ghost will not be needed. And before you know it, you'll believe that you can live anyway and still love God. That's the downward spiral. And before you know it, all you have to do is believe. Become Christian in name only. And relationship with God becomes stagnant. And before you know it, you lose what got you to where you are. Take yourself back to the night that you repented of your sin. And you felt a low change in your life. And when you were baptized in his precious name, you felt that load lifted. And he filled you with the baptism of his spirit. You felt something like you had never felt before. Listen, that was just the beginning born again experience and all of a sudden you said I'm going to give my life to God whatever I have to offer and you gave it to him and he's brought you here if it got you here it'll take you the rest of the way well the times are changing pastor the word hasn't changed people have changed pastor God doesn't change Methods change, but the message remains the same. Okay, everyone all right? Good. Because, put your seatbelts on. First Timothy chapter 2, I exhort therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. That may, they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Because, church, of the battles faced by the church against the world, the flesh, and the enemy, Paul says, and he speaks about it, that prayer should always be a priority. It must remain a priority in your life if you're going to be a skilled influence. He uses different 
examples. He uses the word supplication. Demomo, which, which has to do with asking. But it extends the idea further than just asking. Asking merely makes our request known. But supplication is asking with a passion, being persistent and focused. The, 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 the root word is deal, which means to bind something up or tie something up. That means you're praying in the authority of the Spirit. That's why Matthew writes and says, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Prayer is made with supplication, not just, well, I got my 15 minutes in. No, no, there's a passion, and there's a persistence, and there's a focus of prayer that changes your influence. Well, Pastor, I don't have all the words. You don't, it's not about the words you say. It's about this, the sincerity of what you say. God knows the exactness of your heart. And so supplication comes out with passion and with a focus. He uses the word prayers. Prayer doesn't always feel dramatic or dynamic. It doesn't. You're not always lost in the spirit. Much of God's work in our lives and in the world around us takes place more gradually through just faithful, consistent, daily prayer. Remember the hornets. God sent hornets to drive out the enemy. There wasn't some lightning bolt from heaven. Notice what Joshua 24, 12. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites. A hornet. Now you know how incredibly a hornet affects you. Just let one get in your car. Your car is all over the road. Swinging and opening windows and trying to. Ever had that happen? I was working with my uncle one time in the woods, and you never know when you're going to come across a hornet's nest. And uh, I had fallen the tree, and where he had to hook onto it with the skitter, right at the butt of the tree was a hornet's nest. And I warned him, but he wasn't going to leave the tree there, so. He took the brave approach and tried to get the choker underneath the tree. And all of a sudden, I seen him running down through the woods. <laughs> Hornets were chasing him. And he came back with this big pile of mud behind one ear. Because when you get stung, sometimes that'll take out the, the coolness. And he tried again. Sure enough, the Hornets chased him down through the woods again. I seen him coming back with with piles of mud behind both ears. I've never forgotten that. It's incredible what a hornet can do. Don't underestimate just consistent daily prayer. You say, well, I have to have so-and-so pray. No, you know, you're filled with the Spirit. You can pray. Well, you know, I, if so-and-so... Listen, let the power of God just work through your life in a consistent manner. There is no telling what your prayer can do. Say, well, I didn't see it happen. Just do it again tomorrow. Do it again the next day. And all of a sudden, you'll see the result of just a consistent prayer life. Supplication, prayer. Thirdly, he says intercession. Intercession means to literally stand in the gap. You know what? We make intercession so complicated. People's got to moan and groan and whine. and You don't have to do all... Listen, that's, that doesn't mean that you're connecting. Intercession is simply standing in the gap. That will take you into a level of prayer that maybe is beyond the normal. It may be a time of weeping. It may be a time of quietness where you say, Someone else can't, but I'm going to do it 
for them. Someone else is in trouble right now, and I'm going to pray on their behalf. Intercession is standing in the gap on behalf of. A wayward child that you may not know is praying or not. A person that's ill in their body that doesn't have the strength to. You can intercede on their behalf by standing in the gap for. Listen, I'm not saying that you won't find yourself crying out before God at times. But just because someone is making some loud noise doesn't mean you're interceding. I've watched people interceding on other people's behalf and nothing is really being said. Prayer that's just standing in the cap on behalf of. This is what I'm talking about being skilled in leadership and skilled influence. Ezekiel 22.30 says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, stand in the gap before the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. You and I can intercede on people's behalf. Fourthly, he says, giving of thanks. We don't just come to God with a wish list, but we have a relationship with him where we're thankful for what he's already done, and we thank him in advance for what he's going to do. That's why uh, Psalm 100 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You're already thanking him for what he's done, and you are expecting him to do something spectacular moving forward so this is this is about skilled influence this is you and i this is not just for leadership this is paul speaking to a young man timothy timothy stand for the doctrine and then allow yourself to be caught up in prayer okay paul instructs us to pray for all men for kings for all that are in authority now that's, you know, you look at that and you say, okay, that's fine. Do you, do you realize when Paul's writing this? Nero is in charge. Nero was known as one of the worst emperors ever. And Paul says, you got to pray for him. No matter how bad you think the leaders of our country and world are, the Bible says to pray for them. No person is beyond the reach of prayer. And it's amazing how God can use the directive of prayer to change the environment that you are in. I had it happen one time. We were wanting to do something ministerially in a location. And I felt like I was being challenged by an individual that was in authority in position at that location i wasn't sure but i was pretty sure and i said god and i was sincere if so and so is in the way of us being able to go into this establishment then remove so and so and less than a month his job was discontinued you say, you prayed for someone's job to be lost? No, I just prayed for an open door. What was interesting was less than a month later, the man sent me a request to write a reference letter for a new job. And I did it with glee. I did. And he got the job. I didn't want him not to have a job. I just didn't want him to have the job that he had. He was stopping ministry from moving forward. Listen, you can be sincere in what God is trying to do. Don't get contrary. You heard what might happen. Everyone's still okay? Okay, I don't know if those are real amens or not. 
For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Where unto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. We cannot mediate between God and another individual. We cannot commend angels to intervene. We pray to God because he can do both. He can mediate. He can intervene. There's only one true God who is the one true mediator. And when you pray, you become an ambassador in this world. It's exactly the reason that he has saved you, not just for you, but that you would change the environment and influence this society. Can you imagine what the world would be like if the Spirit of God was lifted? Can you imagine what St. John would be like if you didn't live here? But because you are part of a church, the enemy does not have control of this city. Oh, he might try to use different strongholds, but greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world. Understand that when you put yourself into a relationship with him, you become an ambassador with Christ. Praying to God to do what we want when we won't do what he wants puts us in trouble. But when you pray, God, whatever you want to do, that's what I want to do. Let me tell you, there's no devil in hell that can stop the church from moving forward. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that's not that we're in some fighting battle that we're not winning no 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 that bible is giving a clear indication that nothing from hell will be able to hold back what the church is doing that's the power and the authority you have as an influencer as a child of god oh paul says listen timothy this is what you are, and this is what you can be. I'm not, I'm not through my notes, but time's up. Will you come back next week to hear the rest? Okay. Good. As an ambassador... It's exactly the reason that our lifestyle matters, that our doctrine, what we believe, matters. The faith that we have matters. You are enforcing victory. Not that Jesus is going to win. He's already won. You are just enforcing what he has already defeated. He is the mediator. He's the one God. He's the all power. He's the almighty. Everything belongs to him already. But when you put yourself into an influence position with God, something supernatural happens through your life. Where you go, who you come in contact with, who you talk to, who you work with, who you live by, you become an influencer. Remember how you do it. You do it with love, a pure heart, conviction, and integrity. And the end result will be the grace of God working in people's lives because you are an ambassador for him. I've said this a few times, stand, if you would. I've said this a few times over the last number of months. If we ever realize who we are in God, if we ever fully grasp that there is no telling what kind of an influence you will be.
realizing that he increases and I decrease, but his grace was so powerful in my life, in your life, that he changed you from everything you were to what you are. And he's still working to bring us even into a greater walk and relationship with him. I want to influence every person I can in a positive way. God, I pray tonight. I thank you for the power and the authority of your word. God, we're just learning together. We're just studying your word and we're watching. God, what you allowed Paul as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost to write to Timothy. God, who just a young person who, God, he was wanting to be a, a great influence for you. And even in a wicked world and wicked society that he was in. But God, you were... You were given great instruction to him through Paul and through his life and someone that you had transformed so miraculously. And God, standing in this place tonight, people watching or listening online, many people, God, their lives have been transformed just as miraculously. I thank you for the grace that has worked in our lives. God, would you allow us to the best of our ability to be the best positive influence we can be to every person that we meet. No matter what the situation is, let us talk about how great you are and how wonderful, God, you have worked in our lives. Let us show forth the influence, God, as skilled leaders in 2023. And we ask it in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll pick up next week with 1 Timothy chapter 2. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.